Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. I'm going to have to apologize ahead of time. Usually what makes my sermon worth listening to is what's on the screen. Sorry, you guys are just going to have to pay attention to me today. And if your neighbor falls asleep, just nudge him a little bit. Today we are going to take a look at the story told just a few moments ago by David from the Gospel of Luke. And it It's important to note that this story takes place the same day as Easter. So even though we're two weeks later in time now, the story takes place the same day, Resurrection Day. In our text, we know the resurrected Christ appears to two disciples walking towards a town called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And what we're going to come to realize today is that to know our God best is simply to look at what he did on the cross through Jesus. And with this discovery or rediscovery, we should also be reminded that this is very good news for us. And further, our hearts should be on fire to tell those people who don't know that good news, who haven't taken that good news for themselves. This is a beautiful, wonderful, mind-bending good news. And we should treat it in that way. The story takes place on what would become known as the first Easter Sunday. Here we have two disciples of Jesus, Cleopas and the other one who we'll call Anonymous, because for whatever reason, and we'll get to that maybe, Luke doesn't tell us anything about Anonymous. His name and identity are never hinted at. Well, these two guys, Cleopas and Anonymous, are walking away from Jerusalem, from the events that have taken place there the last few days. They were there for the Passover, of course, and they are walking towards Emmaus, maybe their hometown. Well, they seem to be discussing things, everything that has just happened throughout the weekend and the days leading up to the weekend. Now, it's important to know that these two were followers of Jesus. They were not part of the 12 disciples, well, 11 disciples at this point, because Judas Iscariot is dead, right? And it's interesting that Luke doesn't give us anonymous name. Today we're going to assume that it's an intentional omission by Luke, that he didn't give us a name in order to show that anyone, everyone, any average Jane and Joe can be part of God's family, can be a follower of Jesus. You know what that means? (laughs) That means you. And that means me and everyone watching online and everyone out there who claims the name of Jesus. So just for today's message only, we're going to do something different. We're going to think of the original 12 disciples, that's Peter, James, and John, and all the others. We're going to think of them as the all-star team, the A-team. They're the ones that are closest to Jesus. They were his inner circle. But Jesus, we know, had many more disciples, many more followers beyond the twelve, like Cleopas and Anonymous, and many of the women that are referenced throughout Scripture. Now, Cleopas and Anonymous were part of this larger group that followed Jesus, but weren't part of his inner circle, weren't part of that special group. Additionally, for today only, we're going to think of Cleopas, Anonymous, and ourselves as kind of the second string the second level of the followers. We're the the backups, the bench warmers, if you will. We're not on the starting team because that's the 12 disciples. We're not the 12 disciples, and they're not us. We're simply run-of-the-mill believers who are profoundly aware 
of our inconsistencies, of our averageness, of our shortcomings. We may admire the people on the all-star team, but we know we're not there yet. Again, we're thinking in these terms for today only, and even just part of today. So Cleopas and Anonymous, that's you and I, were walking along towards Emmaus. And as they're walking, a third person joins them. That third person, of course, we know is Jesus, but they haven't come to that conclusion yet. They don't recognize him. And they're not the first people that day to come upon Jesus and not recognize him. We read in John chapter 20, the two angels at the tomb ask Mary why she is sad. And listen to how Mary replies. This takes place morning of that same day. Mary said to the angels, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. So Mary is certainly not expecting to be Jesus, to be alive, to be walking around. She doesn't understand the things that Jesus has been telling his followers up until that point, and she certainly doesn't understand anything that's happened that week, those last couple of days leading up to Sunday morning. Listen to what happens next. Having said this, she turned and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you had carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will come and take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And with those two syllables, with only her name, Mary's eyes are all of a sudden opened, and there and then she understands the truth about Jesus, that he's not only alive, But everything that he's been talking about leading up to this weekend in Jerusalem is true, and it has meaning. So it shouldn't surprise us, because Mary didn't know Jesus, that these two kind of second-string followers later in the day would also not know Jesus. Jesus walks up, engages them in conversation, and he asks them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And I had a wonderful slide prepared with some Greek translation, and it was very, very cool. Maybe we'll have to do this sermon another time. But the Greek word for discussing, when Jesus says, what are you discussing? The Greek word Luke uses here is antibalet, discussing, throwing back and forth. It's where we get our English word antiballistic. So it's kind of a violent tossing back and forth. This word is so important because it gives us the idea of the tone of the conversation between Cleopas and Anonymous as Jesus comes to them. You see, they were not having a pleasant stroll through the countryside, enjoying a polite, quiet conversation. No, their words were heated. Their conversation was certainly emotional. It was definitely an intense exchange of ideas. They were trying to understand what had just happened. I mean, Jesus was their rabbi, their teacher. They thought and hoped that he was their Messiah. But their hopes came crashing down when he was dead and buried. And not only that, crucifixion was a method reserved for slaves and criminals. It was a humiliating and brutal way to die. Jesus didn't deserve that. It didn't make sense to them. None of it. Everything that had happened since Thursday, none of it made sense. So when Jesus asked them, what are you guys talking about? They stood still, their faces downcast. At Jesus' question, they stopped their heated debate. 
and simply stood still. Now, the Greek word here, again, a wonderful, wonderful slide. I had all prepared. But the Greek word here for downcast is skythropoi, which means gloomy, mournful. It's interesting and I think very intentional that Luke uses this one word because it's not common at all. Even in the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of our entire Old Testament, it's rarely found. One other special place in the Old Testament where skythropoi is found, and that is in Genesis chapter 40. If you remember the story of Joseph and the Egyptians, in this story in particular, Joseph is in jail with two Egyptian officials. Remember the king's cupbearer and his personal chef. They've somehow displeased the Pharaoh, and they've now been thrown into prison with Joseph. Some time has passed, and the chef and the cupbearer, one night, the same time, had this very vivid dream on the exact same night, and it was very disturbing to them because they didn't understand the meaning of the dream. And as a result, both men were skythropoi. They were both gloomy and downcast because they didn't understand. Genesis chapter 40, verses 6 and 7. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast, skythropoi, today? There's that word. And they said, why? why? They are skythropoi. Well, we've had these bad dreams, and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dream. So what I'm saying is that because of the very limited usage of this word throughout all of Scripture, I would say Luke's use of it here is very intentional. And it's a very intentional reference to the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. If you think about it, in the Genesis story, there are two people who are deeply troubled because they're having trouble interpreting their dreams and need the help of a third person. In Luke's story, we have two people, Cleopas and Anonymous. They are deeply troubled about what's been going on. They're trying to make sense of it, and they need the help of a third person. Of course, that person is Jesus whom they don't know yet. Well, Jesus shows up in our story, just like Joseph did in the book of Genesis, to explain to them what's happening. Before we get to the rest of the story, I need to make two quick observations. The first observation is that these two disciples, followers of Jesus, are interacting with the risen Christ, and yet they don't recognize him. Jesus is literally with them, but they don't perceive that it's him. Why is this important? Well, it's important because it happens to you and I every single day. Jesus is with us right now. He was with you when you got up. He was with you when you went to bed last night. He's always with you. But often we don't recognize him. Jesus says and promises that he will come alongside of us as we walk through life with the intention of revealing himself and it's hard. Often we don't recognize him. And it seems like only when we take a moment to stop and stand still, as Cleopas and Anonymous did, that we then give ourselves a chance to encounter him. So the second important thing I want to mention is that Jesus is showing up to what we've called the second string disciples, right? Not just the 12 on the all-star team. Jesus makes it a priority 
He shows himself to many people, but he makes a priority here to go to Cleopas and Anonymous, just regular people, nameless, faceless, average, run-of-the-mill followers. And you know what that tells us? That the kingdom of God is for people like that, people like you and people like me. The resurrection life that we celebrate in the season of Easter is not just for the superstars. It's for everyone and anyone who follows the will of our Lord. You are not anonymous to God, my friends, because Jesus sees you and he knows you and he understands you, even if you don't always recognize that he is right there with you in the midst of everything. You're not a number to Jesus. You're not lost in the system of heaven. You are a child of God, a son or daughter of God, and he loves you and he knows you so well. And what we know of Jesus is that he's about to explain something very important to Cleopas and Anonymous. That's why, of course, he's come to talk to them, to help them make sense of what's been going on. And in our lives, he wants to come and walk alongside us and help us understand what's going on. He wants to reveal himself to us. He wants to open the scripture to us, to shift our mindset, to reset our priorities from what the world says is so important out there, to set our hearts on fire for the goodness that he has planned for us, and then to take that fire out into the world so that he can reach others. So back in our story, Cleopas and Anonymous, they read off a laundry list of the events of the life of Jesus over the past week. And then they have another list of expectations about the coming Messiah. And they're trying to blend, trying to meld those two lists together. The things that has been going on with Jesus and the things that they know of the coming Messiah from the scripture. So they rattle off this long list to Jesus when he asks them what they've been talking about. They're angry. And they're confused about what's happened. Take a look at what they say to the, this third party that's come upon them, and I'll add some subtext along the way. Remember, Jesus is with them and asks them what they're discussing, and this was their response. First of all, in verse 19, they say, well, he was a prophet, a powerful man in word and deed before God and all the people. And then there's a lingering, but then... In verse 20, they say the chief priests and rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they're thinking, that doesn't make sense. Because like we said, he was powerful in word and deed before God. So why would our leaders do that to him? And then verse 20, and they crucified him. But that's a punishment for slaves and super criminals. He's neither one of those. Verse 21, they continue, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped that he was our Messiah, and clearly he wasn't, because our Messiah couldn't have been betrayed, he wouldn't have suffered, he wouldn't have been crucified, and he wouldn't be dead. And then in verse 21, they say, and what's more, this is the third day since all of that happened. So now we know that he's 100% dead, not just mostly dead. He is gone. He has no chance of waking up or reviving. It's been three days. Then they continue in verse 22. In addition, they tell Jesus, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. 
Maybe Tomb Raider stole it. We don't know. We don't know what's happened. We're angry and confused. The next verses. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. That doesn't make any sense. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. And so now they're thinking, we have no idea what's going on. That's why we're discussing things the way we are. We're confused. We're frustrated. And right now we're getting kind of angry. And then what does Jesus do? In response to everything that they've just laid out, Jesus would seem to add insult to injury to them, piling more on. Listen to what he says. How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Jesus is sharing with them a beautiful truth. He not so gently tells them, everything that they've been trying to figure out on their own according to their human perspective. And Jesus says, nope, God doesn't work that way. And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. My friends, this is amazing. These men had gotten themselves worked into a tizzy, and all of a sudden, Jesus is there calming the storm as he always can. What a profound blessing Cleopas and Anonymous have received. They received teaching and interpretation from the risen Christ himself. Now, we don't know what scriptures in particular they talked about or how many, but it must have been substantial because it ranged from, in quotes, Moses through all of the prophets. So it must have been a pretty long discussion. This is the moment when he interprets for them exactly what needs to be interpreted. He's pulling together their list of events in Jesus' life and the expectations they have of the Messiah, and he is now pulling them together, binding and blending them into, into a coherent and clear narrative for them. And his main interpretive principle was simply this. The Messiah had to suffer. He had to go to that cross. Counterintuitive to human logic? Yes. Something unbecoming of a savior in our minds? Yes. <laughs> that he would suffer. That his life would end prematurely by death, by crucifixion. But Jesus said and explained to them this is exactly what had to happen. The Father's plan was enacted. Because, friends, we worship and serve a God who we can define based on what happened at that cross. God's culminating story with us, it peaks right then and there on that death instrument, that cross. And that was the point at which all of human history up to that point came to its climax. At that point, the Father's solution for our self-inflicted separation was met. The ultimate sacrifice for our ultimate consequence was made. The crucifixion, my friends, is a demonstration of God's self-giving love. The lengths that he will go through each and every day with you and me. My friends, our God suffered for us. And because of that, he understands when we suffer. He can identify with our hurts, our hardships, our trials. We don't worship a God that is far off and distant from our pain. 
who enjoys only privileges and entitlements. No, we have a God who suffered. He had to suffer. And because we have a God that suffered for us, we now have a better way to deal with our own suffering, our own tragedies, the disasters that befall us. Oh, and we have them, don't we? We have all sorts of problems. We have chronic pain. We have addictions. We have broken hearts. We have anxiety. We have war. And the list goes on and on. And sometimes it seems like all of those things come upon us at once, doesn't it? Verse 30 from our text says, this is Cleopas and Anonymous talking together. And Jesus is with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread and gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. That sounds familiar. It was then that their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and then he vanished from their sight. On that first Monday, Thursday, Jesus broke bread with his disciples. Probably not the first time he'd broken bread, but the first time in that way that he'd done it with them. And the risen Christ is now breaking bread with Cleopas and Anonymous and us the second stringers, the bench warmers. My friends, this signifies something amazing for our lives, that the kingdom of God is for us. We are included in the new covenant that Jesus made that first Monday, Thursday. We are no longer second-class citizens. We're not even second stringers anymore. We're on the A team, the all-star team. Why? Because we're part of God's family. And there is no division in God's family. We are all brothers and sisters together. We are all children of our Father. We are valued. We are loved. He has a plan and a purpose for each one of us. And now we can recognize him. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning with us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? I know that many of you feel the same way. You leave this place with a fire burning in your heart. Or you go to some event and you see other Christians and you say, I'm part of a group. This is great. This is wonderful. And then sometimes we get outside these doors into our own world and we kind of fall back into our own human nature, doubting the promises that God has put before us. But friends, I pray that you allow the light of Christ to shine in you, especially in this season of Easter, as we celebrate his resurrection, but we continue to remember what led up to that resurrection, that our Jesus suffered for us, and so he knows when we suffer, and it hurts him, it pains him. He doesn't want that for us. He suffered in order to make a way for anyone and everyone to encounter him in a real way in their lives. And it doesn't stop with us. It doesn't stop with you online. It doesn't stop with anybody. Jesus wants all of creation, everything and everyone, to no longer be separated from him. To receive his love. The love that is shown best when we consider what happened on that cross. To know him like he knows us. And I pray that this will be true in your lives. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.